Hi friends, happy Friday. Another Friday, another Friends of France episode. Should I start calling it Friends of France Fridays? Anywho, if anyone is aware, except me who still keeps writing 2023 when I date papers, it's 2024. 2024. It's technically been four years since the pandemic really started. Four years since COVID-19 took over the world. Four years since the world has changed forever. And four years since my life, and I know everybody's life, has been changed forever. Four years. That's a whole ass college degree. When I think about it, and how much time has passed by, I still feel like it's a daydream. A distant nightmare, a distant memory and friend. I know all of our stories are different. Many were stuck at home, in lockdown, quarantined and isolated, away from family, working from home, fighting to get toilet paper from the stores. Do you remember that? <laughs> And then I have the story of many others as well who were stuck in the hospital, working throughout COVID. Ugh, such a bleak memory. When I think about it, I can still hear the ambulance sirens, the ventilator alarms, the code blue calls, the telemetry monitors, the cries from loved ones through the phone, the sniffs of tears from other healthcare co-workers, and the freezer trucks driving in. Such a dark memory. I think I tried and still tried to repress it all, but these memories definitely still flood my mind through some nights. It felt like I was living in an end-of-the-world movie. I remember during the first months of the COVID-19 epicenter here in New York City, around March to April 2020, the hospital that I was working at at that time coordinated healthcare workers staying in a hotel to isolate from family so that we could go straight to work. I stayed at the Algonquin by Times Square. I remember just being alone in the hotel and the quiet, getting ready in the evening to go to work at night, and walking through Times Square. I wish I took videos during that time. Hazy. Empty. Lights off. No people or cars in the street. No honking. No birds. No murmurs. No tourists. No one. Just me in Times Square, walking to the train station to get to work. Walking to another night of God knows how many people will die again. How many family members do I have to call on my phone again so that they could FaceTime and talk to their loved one on the bed so they could say their goodbye for the last time? How many code blues will be called again? How many deaths pronounced during midnight? I remember walking through that hazy avenue alone and I felt so alone and so scared and so helpless and wondering if what I was doing meant anything because all of our patients were dying. You take an oath to serve and heal others to no return at most times during this season. I was worried that I would get sick too and also pass away. We knew nothing about COVID. We knew nothing about how to contain it or how to treat it. I remember almost 10 patients dying each night. I remember wearing the same mask, if we had any, for one week straight, kept in the brown bag for me to reuse for my next shift. I remember sweating in my gown and running to another room to do chest compressions. I remember it all. But through all these dark remembrances, I did see lights. The whole hospital team getting together to help each other take care of the sick. And how so many people outside of real life inside my little phone on social media so working together to fight all of the evil misinformation constantly published online about what we were going through. The main reason I started this podcast was simply because of COVID. After one arduous COVID night shift, I was walking outside the hospital into a COVID is a hoax protest by a cathedral nearby. Why? Why all of these lies? Why this effort to speak about something you don't know about? Why this effort to speak when you didn't see what I just went through inside the hospital's four worlds the past 14 hours? And I knew that I had to contribute somehow to spreading the truth, and I'm so glad that I was able to find friends of France to make this possible the past four years. To share not only their stories, but also their expertise in tearing down myths and misinformation in their respective fields. And our guest for today's episode was one of the lights I watched back in 2020 amidst the heaps of misinformation. A true guiding light when it came to educating the fearful and paranoid public when it came to preventing COVID, mitigating risk, and also making the decision to get the vaccine. It is such an honor, such an honor, it's just like full circle, to sit down today with Dr. Katrine Wallace, or you may know her as epidemiologist Kat, a scientist with expertise in the science of diseases, research methodology, biostatistics, and science communication, an adjunct assistant professor, certified in public health by the National Board of Public Health Examiners, recognized by the UK government as a vaccine luminary at the 2021 G7 Vaccine Confidence Summit, an international television expert opinion contributor, and just a brave and beautiful heart to spread the truth 
I'm so honored and I hope you learn a lot from this episode. Of note, this episode with Dr. Cat was recorded way back in April of 2023, so up-to-date data addendum are provided in between the conversation. I hope you take a lot from this conversation, and not just about other diseases like polio and the flu and RSV and monkeypox, but I hope at the end of it all, you see how far we've come when the community cares about each other, and how many things can change when we're just kind and more understanding. Have a great day, everybody. much for having me on i'm so excited no, thank you i mean this is not flattery or whatever like the past hour i'm just like feeling kind of so touched because i'm like I-, I feel so honored that you're oh my god stop you're so crazy <laughs> i feel the same oh my gosh thank you and i, I love the hair I- I love oh going thank on you here. what's going on here is i worked until like a half hour ago and went I don't have time to shower, so we're going with braids tonight. <laughs> I love it. Braids, braids is always a great option. You know, I, I never claims to be a fashion plate. <laughs> Not like you. No. You're extremely fashionable. I always, whenever you post pictures, I'm just like, damn, I, I need to up my game. I need to step it up. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> everyone has to step it up tonight because you're going to okay. have the most awesome conversation okay. tonight. Last week was National Public Health Week, and for the past year, I was like, I have to get Dr. Cat. I had to get Cat yeah. on. Such a crazy three years, right? I mean, I first found you on TikTok, and I feel like how things have changed throughout the months and throughout the years. It's just like bewildering to me. And you know, as a nurse who worked in the COVID ICUs here in New York City during epicenter. Yes. I was talking to my friends last week and I said, you know, it's like, it's like a bleak memory. It's, it's like a dream. It's like a daydream. Sometimes you sit down like, did it really happen? Is it really for real? And then I was like, well, for scientists, it's still very, very real because you're getting hardcore real-time data. And that's why it's such an honor and such an excitement for you to be here with me. And I'm so excited to hear from your nuggets of uh, <laughs> information <laughs> if you could just first please introduce yourself to everybody though sure. you, you don't need no introduction <laughs> no no i definitely my name is katrine wallace i work at uic university of illinois chicago i'm an epidemiologist and i also teach there so i pretty much just teach classes mostly now i was doing a lot of research there and teaching but now i've mostly just transitioned to teaching at uic and i am also known to people on here probably as dr cat on my social media pages where i sort of started to make social media content as you were saying like back in 2020 just because i was trying to get information out to like my own friends and family and it just sort of started getting shared and more people wanted to watch them. So now here I am still doing it. Here we are, yeah. I mean, you know, I started this podcast series, an Instagram live series back in, I believe, the end of 2020. Like I said, I was working in the hospital at that time. And there was one time after, I think it was a 13 or 14 hour shift where we had 10 patients die to COVID that time. For those watching, it's true. We had like the ice trucks outside. And so I left, I left work that morning because I worked night shift and I was walking past the freezing trucks. And then there's like a cathedral around five blocks from my hospital. And there was like a protest going on. It's like, what's going on here at like 7.30 a.m. in the morning? And it's a COVID is a hoax protest. Oh, <laughs> and, and, yeah, that's what inspired yeah. me too, is that. Yes. Yeah, and this was like, what, months into since the rise, the epicenter here in New York. And I was like, oh my gosh, we need so much more education, right? It's so crazy of what's the dichotomy between what's going on inside the hospitals and the research labs and the outside world, right? From people who may not be in touch with what's really going on than what media portrays on. So I was like, I need to get on the actual educated and trained experts of the field because they are the rightful sources of information, right? And that's why I always like to ask, what is the training and the education that it took to get to the expertise that you are now? So basically, what's your journey into it? Yeah, I just have like a regular bachelor's of science degree and then sort of have like a little bit of an untraditional path, but then it got more into public health. So I started out wanting to do research. I liked research and I liked statistics. So I went 
into quantitative research methods, kind of social science-y kind of path, you know, doing analysis and research methods. And then after that, I went and got a job and I ended up working in medical research. Mm -hmm. And so I really liked medical research and I thought, well, this is what I want to do. I don't really want to make surveys. So I went back to school <laughs> again and was in a master's of science and epi program. And then I got my PhD in epi. So I started out kind of not really knowing what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. but knowing I wanted to do research. But then when I started working is when I really liked working with health data. Mm -hmm. And so then I went back to school and got a master's and a PhD in epi too. There we go. <laughs> there was a lot, a lot going on for a long time. And it sort of was like, are she ever going to be done with school? Like some of, <laughs> some of my friends would be like, are you still in, still taking classes? What? Uh, but I'm also one of those people that like, even when I was done with mm -hmm. my PhD, I'm like, okay, now what can I what, do? What, what's like, next, now, right? you know, yeah, exactly. And I've had to like, kind of push myself away way from like, oh, I could maybe get another certificate in something yeah. or, you know, like, you know, I'm just one of these people that always wants to be learning yeah. stuff. <laughs> well, I love it because, you know, they always say the doctoral degree is a terminal degree, but not for you, right? Like, what's next? <laughs> what's I'm next? like, I'm like, I want to, I have like Duolingo and yeah. I got all the, you know, just informal oh stuff. And yeah. I love listening to you. podcasts in different yeah. fields yeah. of science yeah. that yeah. I didn't study, you know, like, so. Yeah, there's a lot of learning you can do that's like informal like that, yeah, you know, yeah, which I which I, I'm trying to appreciate that, that stuff more. Yeah, I mean, all of that, that learning and all of the education and years, you know, has led you to the expertise and this field of epi, as you call it. And, you know, this field of epidemiology, right, that most people can't really spell correctly because of the <laughs> I and the E somewhere there. Right? Well, what's funny is before, and some of the um, epidemiologists in the chat can back me up on this. Before the pandemic, no one knew what an epidemiologist was. So when I would say what I did, they would say, oh, is that skin like epidermis? <laughs> and so everyone thought I was like a skin doctor, like a dermatologist. And I felt very like fancy that people thought I was a skin doctor. But now that we've had a pandemic, everyone knows what an epidemiologist is. Now my cover is now blown. Yeah. No one it's thinks I'm a fancy skin doctor, skin right? doctor anymore. <laughs> yeah, I kind of miss my career I know. as a skin doctor. But. Your full career. I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say that I feel like prior to the pandemic, no one might really know what epidemiology really means, right? And maybe for those who may not still be familiar with the term in the field, what does exactly epidemiology, what does epidemiology See, I can even say epidemiologists yeah. study, what is the expertise? So the dictionary definition mm -hmm. that we teach on day one of our Epi 101 class is the, we study the distribution and determinants of diseases in populations, right? So what that means in real English <laughs> is we count cases, we count cases of disease, and then the other part of that is we try to figure, so that's like the descriptive mm -hmm. epidemiology piece. So there's descriptive and then there's analytical epi. All the epis in the chat are like, oh, I'm having PTSD <laughs> from class right now as I say this. But um, so there's descriptive epi where we count cases and then we figure out what those cases have in common. So like, does everybody who has this X disease, do they all work at the same place? Or are they all women? Or are they all, you know, white people that get, you know, so what do these people have all in common? And then based on that, we can try to figure out the determinants based on what these people have in common and try to then put into practice prevention mm. once we figure it out. So a good example, like a, a smaller scale than COVID is this monkeypox, mm. right? When we started seeing cases of monkeypox, it was like, what do all these people have in common? What are the characteristics? And then what can we do? Can we identify a target population that's at risk and then really drive target prevention to that population? So that's a good example of like the descriptive and then the you know prevention yeah. piece. Yeah, I mean, it's such a complex topic, even just the word disease right i mean i wanted to really you know grapple with you like this word of disease i mean disease disease it's been we've been hearing this word for many many years but i think it just became very pop right the past few years because it's it's like combined with infectious disease right but right. I, wanted, yeah, I wanted to ask about disease itself what do you define as disease what's the difference between 
a quote unquote what you define as disease and like oh i'm not feeling well right today. so it's, it's interesting because as an epi you can be a lot of different types of epidemiology mm. too so to your point there's infectious disease right where people study infectious disease and that's their specialty there's chronic mm. disease and people who those epis mostly study like behavioral risk factors modifiable risk factors like smoking and exercise mm. and food mm. intake and things like that and then there's injury and drug abuse and like there's all kinds of different types of diseases right so your question like what's the difference between an like a formal disease yeah. and just like like feeling kind of eh mm -hmm. at home. I mean, I would say that feeling kind of bad at home, if you went to the emergency room, they'll diagnose you with something. And then I guess that's the divider because yeah. they'll, even if you don't really have anything serious, they'll say, oh, you have yeah. like, you know, a throat it's, infection yeah. or you have, you know, so I guess that's like how you, where the cutoff <laughs> is, right? But it doesn't, but that doesn't mean that somebody who doesn't go to the doctor doesn't have a disease, right? Yeah. Because you can be really sick mm -hmm. and just not go and not get diagnosed and then, you know, have lots of problems later. Yeah. So I don't really know the answer of where that mm -hmm. cutoff is, but I yeah. guess for our data purposes, it's that diagnosis. Yeah, and I feel like it's such a hard demarcation line too between this and that as well, right? And, you know, you were talking about modifiable risk factors and also the definition of determinants earlier. I mean, as your work as an epi, I mean, you've been seeing on paper and I guess in lab and research, right, so many diseases. I mean, you hear <laughs> from history and until now. I wanted to ask if there's a common denominator in most of the diseases that we know in this world like is there a common determinant of why diseases happen or where they come from so, or what they're caused by so it totally depends on what we're talking about right so what we were talking about there's all these different types of diseases so infectious disease there's a pathogen right so so that's what causes those are pretty straightforward right you can't get COVID unless you're infected yeah. with SARS-CoV-2, the virus. So that's very, there's a direct mm -hmm. straight line there mm -hmm. for like agent and then what happens to the person mostly. So those are pretty straightforward. For chronic disease, it's a lot more complicated because those are like multifactorial. So you can have genetic risk factors, you can have environmental risk factors, you can be you know, born with certain risk factors. Mm -hmm. You can have behavioral risk factors, like you participate in habits that are not good for you. So all kinds of things in a constellation. And, you know, the more things on board, the more your risk increases, right? So it's important to really make sure you understand things like, you know, smoking is a risk factor for pretty much every mm -hmm. chronic disease we have, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's important to recognize that and, and really know that we now have a pretty good causal link there, you know, yeah. and things like the sun causes skin cancer. Mm -hmm. Like that's a pretty yeah. direct causal cut, link, yeah. you know? So it's like things like that, just things you can do, like put sunscreen on as mm -hmm. prevention, you know, just mm -hmm. so... The difference there is just that infectious, it's pretty direct, like yeah. agent, and then the disease, whereas with chronic, it's very multifactorial. Ever since I was a child, my inner arms and neck would always suffer from itchiness and irritation whenever I would sweat. It can become so debilitating, forcing myself not to scratch my skin and end up with wounds from prickly heat, especially at night. Thankfully, I have found relief through By Dr. Mom's Soothing Beta Cream and Soothing Bat Treatment, which uses barley-derived beta-glucan technology to help alleviate eczema, bug bites, and dry, itchy, irritated skin. Beta-glucan is a fiber shown in scientific studies to improve skin hydration and healing, and By Dr. Mom's products extract it with a technique that uses air technology, requiring no chemicals or solvents. Created by family physician Dr. Stephanie Liu with the help of an allergist and immunologist, you can now allow your skin to breathe and heal naturally. Using the code CHRISTIAN10, that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-1-0, you can get 10% off your first order on buydoctormom.com. As a healthcare worker, my identity can become so boxed within the pressures and expectations of my profession that sometimes I forget who I really am outside the hospital walls. This is why I find so much power and liberation in self-expression through fashion and accessories and Lupin seeks to do the same. 
Encouraging self-confidence and creating a safe space to be yourself, Lupin seeks to share with the world simple and impactful jewelry pieces that can bring confidence effortlessly. Meaning what goes around comes around, the brand, comprised of third-generation jewelers, holds a mission to brighten the community by promoting positivity and a growth mindset. Lupin's clean designs are handcrafted in South Korea using 925 sterling silver and can go with almost any outfit on anyone. In fact, I wear my pieces on and off shift. With the code FRANZ, that's F-R-A-N-Z, you can get 15% off your first order on lupin.com. Let's bring more luster into the world, together with Lupin. I remember coming home every day from elementary school and smelling the newly steamed jasmine rice in the cooker that my grandmother made just in time for dinner. It reminded me of my first few years living on the farm back home in Asia, sniffing the rice while overlooking the fields. Founded in 2020, Bison Candle Co. hand pours nostalgic and iconic scented soy wax candles inspired by the Asian scents, flavors, and traditions that founder Brandon Leung grew up with in his first-generation Chinese-American household. Brandon's mission with Baisan is to create authentic Asian aromas while rediscovering his love of his Chinese culture and heritage. The candles and home fragrances celebrate aromatic Eastern flavors and aromas one would typically find in an Asian kitchen or pantry, like Vietnamese coffee, steamed white rice, and white peach. Enjoy traditional scents alongside some modern spin-off blends and be taken back into the beauty of the motherland with the code Baisan Friends, that's B-A-I-S-U-N, F-R-A-N-Z for 15% off your first order at bisoncandleco.com. You mentioned about increased risk as well. And I think few terms also that came up as the pandemic was going on, I guess the general public really took attention to is greater risk, increased risk, increased susceptibility. And honing into SARS-CoV-2, you know, I feel like the past year, Aside from COVID, it feels like there's something new every single month, right? It's like, oh, yeah, there's a Lanya virus from China. Oh, yeah, there's monkeypox. Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> like a polio, you know, occurring somewhere and then an outbreak somewhere. I think a common question that has been in my DM since I posted our uh, IG Live is, do you think COVID to has caused us to be more susceptible to infectious diseases or other diseases in general? Or do you think it's just that it's always been like this, but people are just more hyper aware of the outbreaks because of social media? So that's an excellent question. And there's a lot of layers mm-hmm. to your question. Mm-hmm. So I'll go through <laughs> a few. <laughs> COVID did have a direct impact on other infectious diseases like the flu Mm-hmm. and RSV. And while we were mitigating for COVID, it also mitigated for other respiratory mm-hmm. viruses, right? So those were directly affected by behaviors that we were taking for COVID. And we've actually been able to have a nice kind of natural experiment to show that if we mm-hmm. wore masks, we could pretty mm-hmm. much get rid of the flu, right? Because we saw that mm-hmm. it went down to like nothing mm-hmm. when we were masking. So that is one way that COVID affected disease rates. And then once we gave up all those mitigations kind of all at once, we had like surges of those other viruses like immediately, right? We had like weird unseasonal flu and weird, I'm sure being an ICU nurse, you know what I'm talking about. You had like all these, you know, and sometimes very severe cases in kids and stuff, like having all these respiratory viruses. So that was, it sort of threw off our seasonality and our schedule. Secondly, there are less people because I think of all the way that COVID and the vaccines were politicized during the pandemic, I think less people are willing to vaccinate their kids. And so the polio question and things like other these vaccine preventable illnesses that are coming back could be a result of that and Mm -hmm. is actually a result of Mm -hmm. that because we're seeing them pop up in areas like that Rockland County, New York paralysis Mm -hmm. polio case was in an area that has very low vaccine uptake. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem. And there's now political movements, you know, asking to pass laws where they don't have to vaccinate their Mm -hmm. kids to go to public school and stuff. So it's it's really concerning. So that's another way, I think, Mm -hmm. But there is this question about whether or not 
COVID like does something to our immune system, right? That is making people susceptible to more illnesses. And to be honest, the literature is kind of all over the place on it. You see papers saying, yes, it damages your immune system and makes you susceptible to other things. And then you see studies that, so I think any kind of longitudinal stuff like that after COVID, I think there just needs to be a lot more data collected on not only just that, but, but long COVID. And, and I, I just get the sense we're going to learn so much more in like the next 10 years about any kind of post acute sequelae, because yeah, it's just so hard to say if it's real or if it's just artifact, because like you said, we also are much more vigilant of things going on. Like when we would hear about, you know, things happening, we would hear about things on the news happening in like sub-Saharan Africa or SARS the first time. And people were just kind of like, eh, because it was not everybody, but I'm just saying Mm -hmm. like a lot of people, if it wasn't like in their backyard, weren't like as hanging on every news story, right? So because we've all just kind of been through this collective trauma, I do think people are paying a lot more attention to like health news. But so, like Mm -hmm. I said, there's a lot of layers to your question. And so I would say yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 totally possible. Yeah, I mean, it's true that, I mean, COVID is still going on. You know, it's still very much present. Oh, for and, sure, yeah, for sure. And yeah. people that think it's it's like completely done, I mean, I just had it a couple of weeks ago, so I know it's still here, still a thing. And How it's many funny times did you have COVID? I've only COVID? had it the one time. I went three years without having it, and I still wear a mask and everything. And it's funny because in my comments that when I made my video about how I had had COVID rebound, I just kind of oh. want to educate about the rebound issue because it happened and it happened to me. People were the most common questions like, how did you get it? I want to know what you what happened. And I'm just like, well, it's the most contagious variant we've had. And I'm a person with a job and occupying the world. Like it's it's not a moral yeah. failing. It's like uh, well, I was gonna say it's the opposite <laughs> for me because I had it three times. Oh no, well, so, you your job, I can't even you're like intubating people and stuff. So I but, can't even but it's like I had every variant the alpha the, I, i'm just counting every variant i'm like i'm gonna get the next oh my one. god you <laughs> have like, like the-, the variety pack like, i know my, my you, friends, i hope you don't get the gift I, with I, purchase. I, <laughs> no, my, my friends were like they're, they're like you're like you're like a collector of gems you're trying to collect all the gemstones of the year i was like oh it's tiring my, it's tiring you're like but i you know, had all the variants i had yeah. all the variants <laughs> People were like, you should add that to your resume. I was like, should yeah, I? Yeah, you should. You've got all the expertise. No, I just only had this last XBB15 or whatever's going yeah. around now. I had gone three years without having it. And I was actually shocked when I tested positive because it had I'd been wasted so many tests over the last three years because every little sniffle, yeah. I'm like, oh, I've got COVID and I'm testing. Negative, negative. Like, you know, there's another $25, you know, but but yeah, I am shocking. I was like, oh, this time it's real. It's real. So it happened, final happened. Yeah. You know, when we're talking about COVID and this topic of disease, it definitely does not affect the person who is inflicted by it, right? But basically, Everyone around us, our loved ones, our yeah. community. When we, I mean, here in New York, when you go in the subway, or we talked about kids in school, we talked about vaccination, immunization, and I feel like a lot of epidemiology. It's like it's like linked and it has a sisterhood with the field of public health, right? It's like oh yeah, I feel like you cannot separate the two. And I know that you have a certificate in public health, and most of the work you're doing now is also in public health, and the, you do obviously a great deal of education to the public regarding all of these matters. To you, what does public health actually mean? So epidemiology is the science of public health. Mm. <laughs> so we are part of the yeah. we are part of the team. So I mean I could give the textbook answer of like our role and stuff, but what I what I will say is what it means personally to me is just caring about other people taking care of your community, doing your part to keep your community healthy. It's a very, it's very much a community mindset, right? And it's, it's basically like, you know, that's been the most surprising thing in this pandemic to me is that I feel like for the first month, everyone was community minded. Everyone's like, stay home and be safe. And, and, you know, everybody was kind of 
doing happy hours on Zoom and everybody was kind of doing their part. But then as time went by, there was a real like, you can't make me wear a mask and you can't make me get this and you can't make me do that. And it just really kind of became this like toxic individualistic kind of, you know, some people were in that kind of camp. And then there were still people in the, I wear my mask to protect others camp. And like, so that was just shocking to me because in the face of a pandemic with a deadly virus, I just never would have imagined that that would be the way people were thinking. But yeah. To yeah. me, that was counter yeah. to public health. That's yeah. sentiment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I completely agree with that. We're like thinking alike because when I think of public health, I also think of like caring for others, right? Like to beyond the textbook definition, beyond all yeah. of the logistics of public health, it's really just like, you know, caring for our community, caring for our loved ones, right? And I think this was tested and shown yeah. through the whole vaccination series, especially I remember, I think I was one of the first people in my hospital who got the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine back, I think, I guess it was December of 2021. Yeah, 2020. 2020, 2020, 2020, yeah. Yeah, that was when I got it too. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, it feels like this rewarding moment of, you know, not just protection for myself, but protection for people. But, you know, I wanted to ask you is, we have seen the waves and the waves mm-hmm. of vitriol and bipartisan debate when it comes to immunization. I will divide this into two questions. One, as a scientist, what is the premise of vaccines just for the lay person to understand? And two, what is it about the COVID vaccines that was extra controversial as opposed to the other vaccines that we know also have you know controversies with amongst the public and people who, who have been vaccine hesitant or resistant but what is it about the COVID-19 vaccine? Yeah. yeah so I mean just basically for for everybody the the premise of vaccination is to give you a little bit of like a piece of a virus or a deactivated virus or in this case an mRNA like a a piece of directions on how to make proteins to fight a virus so it's it's just basically a safer way for you to build immunity against a disease that can cause a lot of harm otherwise if you just get it without that mm-hmm. so i was very grateful that i was vaccinated when i got covid a couple of weeks ago because i basically slept a lot and had a sore throat and you know, I didn't end up in your ICU and, you know, like I wasn't one of your patients. I was just a pest calling my doctor for Paxlovid and sleeping. So, I mean, that was a safer way for me to build immunity by getting the vaccines and keeping myself current with the boosters because the booster then gave a new piece of information to my body by giving a little bit of the Omicron variant. So it's like, you know, because before we only had the vaccine to the original virus. And as we all know, it's changed a lot. So your second part of your question is, I honestly believe that the resistance to the COVID vaccine and the political stuff really started because of misinformation. It started with misinformation about COVID. And that, to your original point, like a like a while ago, when we were talking about like what kind of started us doing social media, is that's really what started me doing social media too, is because I started seeing, you know, I was like, I downloaded TikTok at the beginning of the pandemic just because I was bored. Yeah. And I'm scrolling and, you know, watching videos and whatever. And eventually the algorithm starts to show you stuff you're more interested in. So it started sell, sell, you know, sending me like health videos. And then I got one, you know, all about how COVID was a hoax mm-hmm. to throw the presidential election. And I'm like, but COVID is yeah. all over the world. Like, what are they talking about? <laughs> like, it just made no sense. Yeah. And as an epidemiologist, I felt like a, I was like motivated by some mm-hmm. sense of duty mm-hmm. to like put out real information because I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. Why are people saying this, you know? And so obviously there's, there's two different kinds of misinformation. There's misinformation that people just propagate. And then there's disinformation that people create. And those people who create disinformation have a motive, whether it's money or power or political gain or something like that. There is some kind of motivation behind the spreading of disinformation. 
And misinformation is like your aunt sharing a meme on Facebook because your neighbor <laughs> sends, you know, like that's, it's bad. And it's a really big part of the problem, but they're not like the creators of the misinformation. And a lot of times they probably forward it thinking it's true, you know? So I think that the disinformation spreaders just kind of got a taste of that grift. Mm-hmm. And then it became impossible for them to give it up because yeah. it was like, so, you know, they've got, sub stacks they have facebook pages that have a link that has like a storefront with mm-hmm. infor- with products they're selling vitamin <laughs> supplements mm-hmm. you don't need the vaccine take these supplements and they're all a hundred dollars a bottle you know so i think that the misinformation just kind of went wild and then it became partisan and because there was also political gain to be made by disinformation so that's my guess on why the COVID vaccine got, because the pandemic actually gave all these people an opportunity, right? Yeah. To disseminate this bad information because it's profitable. Yeah. Quite yeah. And I feel like many people don't know how rich the anti-vax movement is, right? They're billionaires. Oh, yeah. It's a billion, it's a billion dollar industry. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the social media platforms, hi, Instagram, if you're listening, um, are complicit because they make advertising dollars off of the viral videos. And so they're complicit as well. So it's, it's everybody's got their little grift going on. Yeah. And misinformation and disinformation tends to go viral more so than like me making a video saying you should wear a mask, yeah. right? Yeah. So if somebody's saying, well, look, masks don't work, masks cause health problems, that video is going to go viral because people are like, ooh, ooh this yeah. is what the government doesn't want you yeah. to know, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing. So it, those videos tend to just go like wildfire. Those are the videos that are making everybody money, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really crazy how the algorithm works, right? especially on Instagram, especially on TikTok. Now, for some reason, like, I'm not getting any more TikToks on my For You page about like updated booster guy i'm not line, either right but i'm still seeing some misinformation <laughs> videos about covid and so from the expert let's change everyone's algorithm through this video i know um, it's really weird yeah. too because when i start following somebody on tiktok i stop seeing their videos yeah, also yeah it's and like so, it keeps sending me more people yeah. or something so i guess you can create the algorithm now for people mm-hmm. what are the updated booster guidelines yes. and where are we now in this pandemic Yeah. So if you haven't gotten a booster since September, so a new booster came out in September and it was for Omicron. So if you haven't gotten any COVID vaccines since September, you can get this booster that's out now. So what is different kind of that is happening now versus last year is that we had a booster every like six months before that we could get. And now we're kind of waiting and just going to have, I think, a booster once a year for most Mm -hmm. people. So it'll be like your fall vaccines, like your Mm -hmm. flu shot Mm -hmm. and your, and it'll be, there are people that really want a booster now. And I was one of those people, like exactly six months, I got COVID, right? So, uh, (laughs) so there's people that really want a booster, you know, and I think that if you are immunocompromised, are 65, like, and you really want one and you're nervous or you are going to fly to Europe or something, you know, talk to your doctor, you know, definitely talk to your doctor and see if there's a case to be made for you getting another one. I don't, I don't know what they'll say, but for most people, I think they want us to be on that annual fall schedule. And the reason for that, that's positive is that, you know, we have coming out the lower it is because people just don't really understand that it's a new one and that they don't know if they've gotten the new one or the old one. And it's confusing to people when they're coming out all the time. And the communication has not been stellar about the boosters. So having it the annual booster, people are already used to that, right? We're already used to getting a booster in the fall. So, so that's, I think, what's going to happen. Although, The one kind of strange thing about it is that we really haven't really established this winter seasonal pattern with COVID. Like we've still been seeing summer surges and things. So hopefully that will happen. Hi, friends. Doing a quick interruption here. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. As I mentioned in the intro, this episode with Dr. Cap was recorded way back on April 11th, 2023, which is almost a year ago. Definitely. The guidelines when it came to COVID-19 vaccinations set forth by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, have changed up to today. 
Friday, January 26, 2024. In the spirit of remaining as up-to-date with the current data as possible, I will summarize the updated guidelines that the CDC has uploaded on its official website as of January 10, 2024. There are different immunization guidelines for both children and adults, but for the sake of our podcast audience demographic, our upcoming information is applicable to adult vaccine recipients only. So, as of January 2024, the CDC recommends that 2023 to 2024 updated COVID-19 vaccines, this from Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, or Novavax, to protect against serious illness from COVID-19. These updated vaccines more closely target the XBB lineage of the Omicron variant and could restore protection against severe COVID-19 that may have decreased over time. Now, if you are age 12 years and older and you have gotten a COVID-19 vaccine in the past before September 12, 2023, you should get one updated Pfizer, Moderna, or Novavax COVID-19 vaccine. Now again, if you are age 12 years or older, but you've never been vaccinated for COVID-19 at all, you still get one dose of the updated Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, but you would need two doses of the Novavax vaccine, eight weeks apart. Additionally, if you recently had COVID-19, you still need to stay up to date with your vaccines, but you may consider delaying your vaccine by three months as reinfection is said to be less likely in the weeks to months after infection. But the CDC does recognize some factors that may be reasons to get your vaccine sooner than later, such as personal risk of severe disease like being immunocompromised, what's the most common variant right now, your local COVID-19 hospital admission levels, and their risk of disease in the loved one or close contact. I hope all this updated information helps. Please visit CDC's website, that's cdc.gov, for any updates and guidelines. And definitely speak to your doctor about it. Let's get back to our episode. Aside from like not seeing videos about it now, or like booster requests, again, I was talking to someone the other day and I'm like, oh, there was a new booster out. So I feel like the dissemination of news is also very, you know, icky when it comes to this, yeah. right? But in another light, as we mentioned monkeypox earlier, monkeypox, I think during the summer was like, like it was so, so high, high up in the news. And all of a sudden, also like disappeared from the news right away. Yeah. What was it about monkeypox that it got everyone so afraid? And then all of a sudden dissipated in the news. So there's a couple reasons why that disappeared. One was because we had a vaccine already mm-hmm. that we could deploy for monkeypox. So for anybody that doesn't know, monkeypox is part of the orthopox virus family and smallpox is part of that family too. And the smallpox vaccine that's already approved by the FDA was able to be used for monkeypox because they're very similar. Not similar in their case fatality rate, but they're similar viruses enough so that the vaccine works for the other one. They're like cousins. Yeah. <laughs> cousins, not siblings. Cousins, cousins. So that was one reason we could vaccinate kind of relatively quickly, although there were some hiccups with the different dosing and all that stuff. But they did get the vaccine out to people. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the LGD, LGBT. LGBTQ AI plus community <laughs> was, I want to be as inclusive as I can yeah. here. Even that community was extremely compliant with public health measures regarding monkeypox. So they got their vaccines. They went to these community meetings, at least here in Chicago, we had community meetings at bars, at sex clubs, at, you know, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. We had at market days, our big festival every summer, there were health booths that were from the mm-hmm. Chicago Department of Public Health where they were giving vaccines mm-hmm. at the, you know, there was a lot going on around dissemination within the community and the community itself was really compliant. Mm-hmm. So behavior change mm-hmm. was huge, mm-hmm. limiting sex partners, limiting sex from apps, mm-hmm. limiting going to mm-hmm. sex clubs, like all of that dropped because we did surveys yeah. in Chicago and all that dropped by yeah. like half. So our curve in the US went up and then it down. went down because A vaccine and B the community was just stellar yeah. with behavior change. I'm in New York. I mean, you know, I was working in Mount Sinai and I know they were sending out flyers of any volunteers who want to do surveys or, you know, promoting the flyers with the vaccine sites to clubs and to restaurants and to concerts and stuff like that. You know, here in Chicago, like we had a couple of like meetings, Zoom calls with some of the people that were coordinating these Mm -hmm. events. And the owners of the bars and the owners of the clubs, they're 
older people who've been through this before with AIDS, right? So they weren't going to mess around. They were, you know, and they're the role models for Mm -hmm. the community and they really stepped up. In this world of social media that places so much physical critique and pressure on maintaining a youthful appearance against all environmental odds, the skincare and beauty industries have succumbed to a myriad of anti-aging practices. However, the covert fact is that beauty is timeless and that aging is a privilege. Regents, an inclusive wellness brand, seeks to promote this ritual of well-aging, understanding that it is connectivity with the body and attentive care given to it as it changes including our skin. Founded by Filipino-American Giulio Rizio, Regents introduces the all-encompassing serum, created to target the concerns of maturing melanated skin by utilizing a blend of healing botanicals used by our ancestors and select clinically proven active ingredients. From the brightening Ayurvedic licorice root to the soothing Centella Asiatica and hydrating green algae, welcome to the journey of fueling skin health and enhancing not changing your natural shade. With the code FRANZ, that's F-R-A-N-Z, you can get 15% off your first order on regionswellness.com. Experience the power of mixing native wisdom with modern-day science. Do you have any guilty pleasures? I have one. Boba. Given that the average cafe-made milk tea has over 100 calories per serving, over 20 grams of high glycemic sugar, and is packed with artificial flavors, I am so glad that the guilty days are over with Twirl, the world's first canned plant-based milk tea. With only 45 to 50 calories per serving and containing 6 to 7 grams of low glycemic sweeteners, Twirl is made with pea milk, the most sustainable plant-based milk on the market, regenerating the soil where it comes from. Fair trade and organic are the names of the game as the teas are sourced from biodiverse family farms in China, Japan, and Taiwan that practice sustainable farming techniques. No artificial flavors are ever used. From four different flavors to ready-to-eat plant-based konjac and boba pearls, let's enjoy tasty, creamy, shelf-stable, and healthy milk tea together for 10% off using the code FRANZ10, that's F-R-A-N-Z-1-0, on twirlmilktea.com. Twirl around in its goodness. Growing up, I was ashamed of my Asian heritage. Classmates would comment about the lunch my grandma cooked, other kids would make fun of my eyes, and even some adults today would tell me to go back to where I came from. But where do I really belong? Who really am I? Am I not American enough? Highlighting the year of the first documented arrival of Asian Americans in North America, 1587 Sneakers seeks to shine the spotlight on Asian American stories and demonstrate to the world the extraordinary breadth of our passions and achievements. Made with full-grain natural Italian leather by Fowey Artisans, 100% biodegradable natural rubber outsole, calf leather interior lining for comfort and good smells, and waxed cotton laces for longer-lasting cleanliness. These premium sneakers combine the highest quality, an array of timeless designs, and the movement to be authentically who you are. With the code FRANZ15, that's lowercase f-r-a-n-z-1-5, you can get 15% off your first order on 1587sneakers.com. Step into embracing your identity without hiding. Express yourself, unapologetically. A lot of this information is so hopeful, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, we have boosters, we have immunization. But it's also a subset of people that everything that we've been saying is probably so confusing to them, all right? And I think it's also due to the fact that, especially for sure in the you know early rises of covid there's like so much information going around again sound information misinformation disinformation yeah. but i think also from the official centers of yeah. guidelines yeah, right? absolutely like, it's like, like, we, the the who calls it an infodemic yeah. because there's just info coming in from all directions yeah. good bad so and do everything we mask? do we not mask this it is this not it like what do we do i feel like right. everyone's like do this do we do that do we do that or do we not what you just said actually uh if you don't mind me just jumping in for a second is another problem when you say do we mask do we not mask there are so many dichotomies set up during this pandemic like i'm not getting vaccinated i am getting vaccinated i'm not wearing a mask i am wearing a mask like you know 
all of this stuff is, is just the wrong way to go about this. So what we should have done from the start mm-hmm. is kind of set up like a continuum, right? So when rates are high, we do, and we did this towards the end, yeah. but it was not soon yeah. enough, you know? So it was like when rates are high, more layers are needed, right? Mm-hmm. And when rates are low, you can maybe get rid of yeah. a couple things or open restaurants or like things like yeah. that. But we didn't do that. We did do the all or nothing kind of like we don't have to mask anymore. We do have to mask again. And that is not, I just don't think people really understood why the choices were being made because people weren't following the data as closely. And it just seemed very arbitrary flipping back and forth. Hi, another interruption. As Dr. Kat and I mentioned, there is a lot of confusion when it comes to recommendations and guidelines when it comes to the mitigation of contagion and prevention of disease due to the melting pot of so many sources of news. In this upcoming recent transcript from Dr. Kat herself from December 22nd, 2023, she lays down what we're seeing around us because as you know, everyone has been sick recently. Is it COVID? Is it flu? Is it RSV? Let's hear what she has to say. We have a lot of sick people right now with colds and flus and all kinds of things. In terms of COVID, we have many variants circulating. And when we have this kind of potpourri of variants, it really increases our chances of getting reinfected. Also, we are seeing many what we call novids getting COVID now for the first time. And this may be due to this rapid increase in the variant called JN1 that we're seeing. And this proportion of this variant rose from about 8% of cases at the end of November to estimates of about 40% or even more in some parts of the country now. So it contains mutations, this variant JN1, that make it more contagious. However, JN1 does not appear to cause greater severity than other SARS-CoV-2 variants. Evidence does suggest that the new vaccines should be effective against JN1 and home tests do work. The uptake on the new vaccine has been very, very poor. Make sure that if you have not already gotten your booster, that you schedule an appointment because this is the best thing you can do to prevent severe COVID. Flu is really taking off. We are heading into peak flu season. As always, we have a safe and effective flu vaccine widely available. And remember that most of the things we learned over the past few years that prevent COVID also prevent other respiratory viruses. Moving into our holiday gatherings, this is what I recommend that you do. I would test if you're symptomatic or test following any COVID exposure that you have. I would test before gathering with family and friends, no matter what, to make sure that you're not asymptomatic. Make sure that you practice good respiratory etiquette, cover your mouth. Also, masks do work, and it's very recommended to wear a mask in crowded or poorly ventilated areas. It gives you an extra layer of protection in times like this when there's a lot of COVID around. Definitely stay up to date with your COVID, flu, and the RSV vaccine if you are eligible. And most importantly, stay home if you are sick. Do not attend that gathering if you are symptomatic or if you are sick. It isn't worth it. People were afraid, you know. Of course. Concerned and just, besides just afraid of going out, people's families were in the hospital, right? Like, so what do we do? What do we do to not end up in the same situation they are? And I feel like guidelines were also like, I mean, that's science, right? Guidelines are updated, new data. Right, with data, yeah. But the way that it was disseminated from the government, right? So it's like, so people... It was confusing. It was a very... And especially the first year was just like, nobody... Yeah, it was very hard. And and that's really why I I kept kind of making videos because I felt like people didn't really under... I would walk Mm -hmm. through papers Mm -hmm. the first... Because we didn't have that much data Mm -hmm. at first, like... So it's funny, like the first 2020, we didn't really have any data. We were basing everything on viruses from the past, like, you know, like the way Mm -hmm. things usually go or something. But then when we started to get data and I would literally walk through papers and and show people the data. And I think data is soothing, like data is calming to people, like even when it's not Mm -hmm. completely positive, at least it gives people this sense of empowerment of understanding that I think really helps, you know, just at least knowing 
what's going on and having somebody walk through and say, okay, this is bad because this is above that. And you know, this is significant, you know? So I think that helps. And in that topic of data and coupled along again with the fear and the confusion of the public. So who should people listen to in times of confusion, which is the data that the public should go to? So I think that, you know, like the WHO, the CDC, they put out good infographics. I just don't think that they always hit on like the hot topics that everybody wants to know about. And the issue is, I think that they are doing their best, Mm -hmm. but things move very slowly in these big institutions, right? So the misinformation, unfortunately, moves a lot faster than the good information, because when they're putting out an infographic, the reason there's no mistakes in it is because probably a hundred yeah. people sign off on it before it gets posted on Instagram, yeah. right? So they're great, but they just aren't quick because there's just so many eyes that need to look at mm-hmm. it. So that's kind of the void that us science communicators are filling, right? Because we're reading the papers and we're reading the literature mm-hmm. and we understand that stuff. So we don't need to go through a hundred signatures to put a video out. So I feel like And I'm not trying to say like everyone should listen to me, but there's tons of good ones if I'm not your cup of tea. But I think that anybody that's, you know, educated and speaks to their field and is trained is good to listen to. But obviously, I always default to the data, like the actual collected data at the WHO, the CDC, the the official data sets. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's so refreshing to hear and receive information from those who are actually you know yeah doing stuff right and you too like you're treating patients like the what what's really infuriated me throughout this pandemic is medical professionals who maybe aren't certified anymore or don't treat covid patients going online and saying i'm a nurse and who knows what that even means are they like a nurse's assistant from 10 years ago or like you know saying like don't take the vaccine i'm a nurse or you know dr malone he's some doctor in a different (laughs) field that's not even infectious you know it just makes it makes me crazy so like you are actually (laughs) in the you are in the icu treating patients and you know so it's very your experience is very valuable to to people thank you yeah i mean you know being in the covid icus during those times i mean Again, it feels like daydream, a bad daydream at times. I mean, I can just remember, you know, all the patients had to be intubated. I mean, using my this phone, this same phone to FaceTime family members so it's that they could take it. Trauma, right? You, for the last time. And awful. I remember holding the patient's hands and they're like, you know, as they take their last breath. And I think a lot of this may not have been shown in media. No. And because I, of that. No. Because of that, a lot of fear and fear mongering came out. And I think the reactions of the public who may not see these things, right, or may not be trained to interpret data as you are, right? Definitely fear and anxiety is a very valid and appropriate response to all of this, right? As the expert in this, and as someone who's like educated about diseases and see real-time data and also, you know, educate um, students about this, if there is someone, and I'm sure there is someone out there in the world who is just like, until now, it's just so afraid and fearful and anxious of everything that's going on, yeah. right? Yeah. With your expertise, what would be your message to that person? So it's, there's different fears, right? Yeah. So there's vaccination yeah. fear. And, and I talk to a lot of those people because they, they'll DM me. And sometimes they're disingenuous questions, but sometimes people are really just genuinely afraid. Mm -hmm. I had one person once say a year and a half ago or something telling me that she wants to get vaccinated, but she can't tell her husband Mm -hmm. because they are together anti-vaxxers, but she was terrified of Mm -hmm. getting COVID without Mm -hmm. being vaccinated because they've had, they had a couple friends end up really severely ill Mm -hmm. and it just, I I just don't, I can't really relate to seeing people severely ill and then still deciding like, oh, I'm good, you know, (laughs) it just doesn't make sense to me. But, um, you know, but people are scared of vaccinations. And I, I tend to like, for those people, I try to get to the bottom, 
of what the hesitation actually is because it's very it's very all over the map. It's like there's cultural reasons, mistrust of the healthcare system. There's you know people's parents put the fear of God about vaccines into them, and now they're 18 and they don't know what to do. And then there you know there's tons of different reasons, and so like really listening to the rationale of why they're scared and why they aren't vaccinated is very helpful because sometimes it's just plain misinformation, but other times it's more complicated and the person is, doesn't fall neatly into that like anti-vaxxer box, you know? So listening with empathy and really kind of trying to talk them through their actual fears, Mm -hmm. it helps because sometimes they get to the idea on their own. Like you say, well, why do you feel that way? Well, how did you make that decision that that was scary? And sometimes they realize there's, it's not based on anything, you know? So it helps for them to have somebody to talk to and just to ask questions, just to keep them talking about it. And being fearful of COVID is a little bit more difficult because, you know, we have seen people get severely ill from COVID, but, you know, if people are vaccinated now, we do, I'm not saying there is no long COVID and that, you know, we shouldn't be worried. And I, I will definitely still be continuing to mask in indoors and things like that. But I do think that if you are up to date on your vaccines, and as soon as you test positive, you get Paxlovid, your chances of getting long COVID or some kind of sequelae, I think, are probably pretty low. I mean, we might find a year down the road that that's wrong, but at this point, it seems like this is working against severe illness. Obviously, having COVID is not fun at all. Three times. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't. Yeah, and and they're all they were all different, right? So the. Well, in the, first, in, the first, yeah, talk about had, that maybe because that's yeah, really interesting for yeah, people. The I'm first sure. one I had it. The first one I had it was September of 2020. So there were first no vaccines yet. Oh no, exactly. And that one was probably. I <laughs> thought I was gonna take myself to the emergency room. I probably should have. I and that was the time when I locked myself in the basement for 14 days. I think that was the guidelines before. Like, right. I, I, you know, I live with my mom who's also a nurse and she also worked in the COVID ICs. So you're always kidding like who get oh my gosh near you. Do you was, work like, in the same hospital. Different oh, hospitals. So that would have been so that would have been so funny. Right, right. Oh. Yeah. So I got it first before the vac the first one the first time I got it, I had it before the vaccines came out. And how old was I that time? I think I was twenty three that time and you know, healthy. I had no I had no really active medical problems but i was like oh my gosh i cannot breathe <laughs> and i had the post socks oh time. yeah because that's what they say to go when you can't breathe you yeah you should have probably like, gone why is my resting oxygen rate 89 percent when i'm just like laying down and then yeah, so i actually weird. had to take a trip to the urgent care and get some like you know some after yeah steroids and i really thought i was going to not make it and then the second time I had it was the summer uh, after the vaccines came out. And so Delta, second time. Delta. Right? And I was like, <laughs> okay, I had one day of fever, two days of sore throat, and then I was like up and running after that. Well, you had that nice hybrid immunity that not a lot of people had at that yeah. point, too. Yeah. So, yeah. wow. The, That's crazy. And the third time, it was after I think I had the first booster, like of a month or so later and that was even quote-unquote better because I, I had a fever for one day sore throat for one day and i was like I, obviously i still did my isolation precautions my quarantine precautions i was like oh i feel fine <laughs> this. so i saw the difference it's between the pre-vaccination and the post-vaccination and the post-booster effects of COVID in me. Oh, so, that's right. That's really yeah. interesting. So yeah. you did have the entire continuum of... Yeah, yeah. I did. I and did. now you, you've got, like, all the antibodies. <laughs> well, I, should, I, should, I should get my antibody count. I should get my titers and see how, how it is because my friends are like, it's probably up the roof because you have the hybrid immunity. You know, I don't think that matters, the yeah. number. It's yeah. it's Well, it might. So here's the thing. I get that question a lot, actually, because people who have COVID, then they want to know, do I really need to get a booster because my antibodies Mm. are really high? And I'm like, well, that doesn't really correspond Mm. to anything Mm. clinically. Like, we've never done validation Mm. studies on that number to say, like, 
this number means you're immune Mm -hmm. and this number under that number means you're not. Those studies have never Mm -hmm. been done. So I always tell people like, you can do whatever you want, but I can't give you a cutoff. Yeah, Yeah, there's no numerical cutoff for that, right? Right. Yeah, but it's just just been, again, it's been such a whirlwind the past few years, you know, (laughs) I know this feels like therapy. It feels right? like ther- therapy. I know. Thank you so much. I feel like I can pay I know, a copay. You too. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. I feel like I should pay a copay. <laughs> I'd be happy to accept it. Just kidding. Yeah, and and you know, I, I will say, and this is not flattered, that one of the highlights of the past three years, and even though how rough it has been, was really stumbling upon a lot of you know, science communicators online. Same. Yeah. And one of them being you. I mean, people tell me all the time, like, oh, you help save lives. I'm like, yeah, it is our job. But also like the amount of, you know, information that you put out, like easing people's fears and people getting that sense of encouragement and that informed decision to get vaccinated or wear your mask. It's just, it's just priceless. And I just want to thank you for all you you do. That's so nice. Well, I feel like the same. And and the silver lining of the pandemic, I say this all the time, was meeting other cool, like-minded science folks yeah. that, because that's been awesome. And from all over the place, yeah. right? We, we all were sort of like forced together in, yeah. our, in our phones, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like we all met each other just because of this, really. I mean, there's no, there'd be no other reason we would have all been yeah. so you know, together talking all the time if it wasn't for this. So that's been one silver lining is the connections that I've made. Me too. Dr. Kat, it's been such a huge honor and such an enjoyment to talk to you and learn so much from you. And thank you so much for saying yes to this. Oh my gosh. Of course, I'm honored that you asked me. I'm glad I'm like cool enough to be a friend of Franz. Oh, please. (laughs) I mean, you're a skin doctor. What can I do? <laughs> I know, right? If you have any blemishes, I'm your girl. You no, your skin is so beautiful. You probably oh. never do. <laughs> uh, Dr. Kat, thank you so much again. And thank you, everybody, for joining. Yeah, thank you for jo- joining. This was really fun. And your questions oh. were really good. You kind of made you. me think. <laughs> that's, that's what I like to do, too, is thinking all the time. I'm like, I have to ask, I have to ask her this. Thank you so much. I hope you get rest for the rest of the night. Thank you. Bye. Bye.